Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the A Word of Good podcast. My name is Gethin Nadin and my guest today is Christine Locher. A journalist turned leadership development expert, Christine has worked with startups and has spent over a decade in high-pressure environments. With more than 12 years in learning and development covering a range of industries, Christine is also trained in transpersonal psychology and is a licensed psychotherapist. Christine is a trained ICF standard coach with degrees in systems thinking and psychology. Christine is also a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and the Learning and Performance Institute and is also a board member of the eLearning Network. Most recently, Christine was nominated for the 2019 EMCC Global Coaching Award. Christine is also the author of two books, Values Based, Career and Life Changes That Make Sense and The Decisive Edge, How Exceptional Leaders Act on Their Values, Intuition and Integrity to Make Better Decisions and Increase Impact. In this episode, we're talking about something really close to both of our hearts, diversity and well-being, and I sincerely appreciate the openness Christine shared with this episode. Please welcome Christine Locker. Hi, Christine. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. How about you? Not too bad, thanks. Not too bad. Um, I've been asking some people on this podcast what they might give themselves as a kind of mental health score on a scale of one to ten. Uh, what do you think yours might be today? Oh wow, that's uh, oh, that's actually not easy. It's it's kind of both a three and an eight at the same time. If that makes sense. Okay. It probably doesn't. But... <laughs> but yes. No, it's fine. I think it's just it's quite interesting. I think it's it, it was an interesting exercise which I got from season one of the podcast, um, where we just kind of yeah, and I just got into the practice of every now you know occasionally we just ask myself you know at the end of the day or at the start of the day what I'd give myself a mental health score. It was uh, Rob Stevenson that kind of gave me the idea, and I think it's quite interesting to kind of just. Uh, then think about why that might be so it's almost i guess it's almost like mm-hmm. it's almost like journaling your thoughts i guess isn't it it's just kind of thinking okay if it's a if it's a five why might it be a five and you can kind of quickly over a period of a couple of days start to figure out what things affect your your mental health so things like sleep and exercise and whatever it might be so i i love that one to ten kind of scoring thing because i i do quite a lot of uh, solution focused work one of the things you do there, which might be an interesting build, is you then ask yourself if it's a five, what could you do to make it a six? You know, not necessarily up to ten, because that might that might not be in the books right now. But what sort of one thing you can do to bump it up a little bit? And then if you keep doing that, obviously over time things should be getting better. Yeah, and I think that's a good so point. So that's one it? of the things I'm doing. And that, that I think that's a good point because your your journey isn't to 10. Your journey is with yourself. You know, you're just trying to compete with yourself, right? You're trying to make it better than it was before. Um, and sometimes accepting the fact that you can't make it better and things will happen, external things will happen that will affect your mood. It's interesting. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about specifically is, you know, through season one and this season of the podcast, we've talked a lot about um, workplace well-being and the kind of different specific facets of well-being. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about specifically was um, being part of the LGBT plus community, however people want to kind of define that, 
and the specific impact that might have on somebody's well-being. Um, because research shows that mental health problems like depression and anxiety are more common in the LGBT plus community, um, estimated to be around a third higher. Um, and it might be obvious, but I wanted to ask you kind of, why do you think that is? And is it important for HR teams to understand what it's like to be part of that community and the process of coming out? I think it's definitely important for HR teams to understand what it's like to be part of that community. I'm not sure sometimes, because you mentioned LGBT plus and so on, and I know there's lots, lots of different letters um, as well behind the plus, um, because I think very often people don't actually know. So I think HR might have the very best intentions, but for example, if depending on how they do the surveys or depending on how, how open they are, they, mi they might miss a whole lot of people. So, for example, I identify as non-binary and very often that literally wouldn't come up. Like, you know, that, that piece of information would have nowhere to go just because, you know, surveys, employee database and all of that, not, none of it is really structured to capture that. So, um, usually then in my case, defaults to female, but which is not, not wrong, but it's also not right, if that makes sense. And, um, yeah, so I think... Yeah, you, you mentioned the mental health statistics. I, I knew it was it was worse for the community. I hadn't heard the, the number one third. And it, I think in a way it does make sense because there a, a lot of that is about possibly needing to work things out with yourself because there's, first of all, you, you might need to figure out who, who you are and what, what you are all about. And that might not be how the rest sees you. Which, which can add pressure, I think. It could be about wanting to be like everyone else and, and finding that that doesn't fit and then figuring out how to deal with that. Coming out, I think, is a really big one because, I mean, for, <laughs> I think I kind of naively thought you do that once and then it's this big moment and then you're done. But yeah. you're basically, you're coming out like a million times. <laughs> and some of it goes well, some of it doesn't. And it kind of, it's like, oh my God, yeah, I've just done that again. And now I'm doing it again on the podcast. And it's sort of, you, you kind of think it would get easier. And then sometimes it does. And you feel like you, you have a, like a good routine going, how you're going to phrase that and how you're sort of, you know, putting yourself in, in, a, in a posture almost to kind of, I don't know, um, to, to sort of um, um, hold, hold that conversation. And then something happens and it turns out completely different and then it feels like you're doing it for the first time again. And Yeah, it's, fa it's yeah. fascinating because I think I look at my own experiences and you know, I came out as, as gay at 23. Um, you know, I remember years later once i became even after coming out became kind of more comfortable with who i who i am and the life i wanted to live i got to a point where i think at the time i put some kind of post on facebook and reflecting on it you know i was kind of i was telling somebody that what i went through when i knew i was gay but i didn't come out i wouldn't wish on my worst enemy i think that feeling of kind of being trapped and not and you know not being able to live the life you wanted to and being afraid of what people would say and how it might affect you know the chances and opportunities you get in life um, you know, I can kind of understand. I think I was lucky that you know it didn't it didn't affect my mental health. Um, certainly not in the long term. Um, but you know that 
that stress and that kind of keeping stuff in um, is quite significant. And I think about, you know, although, you know, probably for um, gay and lesbian people, we've probably advanced quite a lot and they have lots of media representation and that kind of stuff. So all of a sudden it's kind of a lot easier for those people to come out. Still challenging, clearly, but easier than it probably was when I was younger and easier than it was certainly when, you know, people kind of were older than me coming out. Um, but like you say, mm. you know, I, I have the same situation where, you know, I, I don't fit people's stereotyped image of what a gay man looks like. I'm kind of six foot four, about 16 stone. I don't like any of the trappings of a stereotypically gay life, um, which means I get asked on an almost daily basis if I'm married or do I have kids or what my wife or my girlfriend thinks. Um, and then I have to make that decision on whether I bother correcting them or not because it becomes a whole thing. You know, I don't. You end up being in that position where the other person then has to, for whatever reason, say to you vocally, "Oh, my brother's gay," or "Oh, my sister's gay," or "Oh, I didn't know that." And it's like, well, why would you know? Because, you know, it's it's not the stereotypically you know, people don't fit that mold that most people think. And so, I guess if you identify as uh, non-binary, that's even worse, right? Because people most of the time they wouldn't guess because it's kind of you self-identify so it's not about the way you look it's about I guess the way you think really and, and what's in your head yeah yeah that's true and also it's because it in a way it's really really easy to pass so for the you know it, it, it can be really tempting to just do that and not have the conversation if you don't feel like it and and sometimes quite frankly I do that because you know that I, I find there's only so much I can do in a day, but then sometimes it's also awkward because then it's it's also I also want to be true to myself. And then you know, so for example, in in one of my previous organizations, I did a lot of work in inclusion and diversity with various employee resource groups and so on. And then at some point, somebody asked me if I wanted to lead the Global Women's Network. Which was obviously, you know, on the one hand, it was really amazing. It was a great, it was a great honor to be asked. It was an amazing network, and so on and so on. But then I had to have the oh well, actually, conversation, which had literally never come up to that point uh, until that point. Um, so so yeah, so that was a bit awkward. The other thing is kind of global careers. I think sometimes it would help if. HR would at least have that in the back of their head. So, for example, um, I was uh, I was in the US on a on a work visa when I started thinking about my gender identity and kind of coming coming to a conclusion in my in my search movement, if that makes sense. And you know, then you have a passport that has a gender in it. You have a visa that's for a specific gender, and then it's kind of well, you know, like, could, would that even be possible to switch kind of midway? Or would I have a different gender on my passport than I would on my US visa? You know, like, it kind of just gets really, really complicated. Or, you know, for example, now in in the UK, obviously, with, with Brexit, um, I recently had to renew my passport. And in the last couple of years, Germany has, has changed the legislation. So your Germany now has the, the option for a third gender in the passport. So I was kind of sitting in front of the forum and I'm like, wow, on the one hand, that's an amazing opportunity. On the other hand, my entire paper trail in the UK is Christine Locker female. 
I'm like, okay, I've just done the, you know, the, the what's it called, the residency um, thing, settled status, pre-settled status. I'm like, if I switch gender kind of now, is that going to confuse the process? And do I really, do I really need that extra headache? So, so I think there's just kind of lots of fine print things that people don't immediately think about where it would help if people would have that at the back of their head or would have um, would help you kind of work through that. Or for example, you know, I worked for a different company and um, I had a, an international L&D role and all of a sudden they put me in charge of the Riyadh office. I'm like, that could have been a conversation, please, you know. And I probably would have done it anyways because most, most of the things we were doing were virtual, but I think it would have helped if they had had the conversation and they didn't. So I kind of land, landed with um, being responsible for a couple of countries I would have felt uncomfortable to travel to. So, And I think it's yeah. you raised some good points there, which I think apply to um, like trans employees as well. So, um, you know, kind of, um, you know, it, the, um, Starbucks did a great advert recently and they've kind of um, where they Starbucks realized that trans people like to go into Starbucks because they could choose the name that they wanted to be referred to without re relying on their legal name so when you go and they ask you your name for the cup you could you could call yourself whatever you like and that's what they'll know you as and so starbucks kind of jumped on this and actually decided that they'd make this campaign and it's linked to some money they're raising for trans charities and linked to a big change in their kind of um, how they deal with trans employees really positive movements from starbucks um but basically it's um this um this trans boy in uh, this short film answers the phone and gets referred to as Miss or Mrs. Um, X, um, you know, gets letters and stuff like that. And, you know, the ID that they show has got all this legal name on it, yet they get to Starbucks and they're able to call themselves, I think James is the name um, the, of the, the actor in the example. Um, and they're able actually to be able to say, this is, the, this is the name I want to be referred to. This is how I want to be referred to. Um, and I just can't really imagine, and I don't, unfortunately, I don't know anyone who's trans, but I can't get out of my head this, the complete stress of wanting to live your life as a certain person, but being held back because of the way other people refer to you, or paperwork. And I think that's something that HR needs to get its head around, the fact that people, you know, that the impact that kind of stuff has referring to people the way they want to be referred can be quite significant, can't it? I agree. I agree. I think it's just this being seen or the fact that they thought enough about just leaving an open for you where you can define if none of the others fit. So I had, and you know, I know with, with data and so on, maybe it's depending on the size of the organization, it might be a pain to have a free text field, you know, somewhere where people define the gender. But for me, actually, one of the things that that sparked or, or kind of reignited that thinking. And mind you, I was uh, quite quite late with that. I was in my 30s. Um, I, had, I, w I went to the theater in New York while I was living in the US. And I had a bit of an existential crisis, not because of the play or because of New York, but they sent me a, a customer satisfaction survey. And the gender field was a drop with probably about 10 different things in it. And most of which, quite frankly, I had no idea what they were. So I spent a very confusing evening Googling all the different options. And that kind of threw me in a complete loop for a couple of months to try and figure out, okay, if there are all these options, 
who am I, <laughs> you know, yeah. which great. And I've never really experienced that anywhere else. In, in, you know, in that radical, just here are all these options. And I'm, I can't remember, to be honest, if they had a free text field, but the list sounded fairly comprehensive, at least compared to anything I've, I've seen anywhere else. And that just felt amazing. That felt really amazing. And then if I compare it, you know, then the day later I checked in for a flight and I had to click the F button um, for female. And it it just, yeah, like every time I'm like, mm. you know, I mean, I kind of do it and try not to think about it, you know, when you fill out these forms and the browser has to autocomplete and like all these things. But it's just not, it, it, it does feel different. It feels genuinely different. Um, and kind of the other thing I wanted to talk to you about as well um, in this episode was that, um, you know, some of the research that I was looking at showed that one in six people in the LGBT plus community say they've experienced bullying or harassment in the last 12 months. Um, and I think that's kind of that. I'm interested in whether that fear of kind of homophobia um, as a catch all term um, stops employees asking for help. And I found on Stonewall's website that um they found that some uh lgbt plus people had gone to ask for help at mental health clinics and hospitals and that kind of stuff um and in one study they mentioned that an lgbt plus person was being treated following a suicide attempt and was told by a nurse that their mental health issues were because satan was in his soul and then that stopped what? yeah and that stopped him from then seeking further treatment for a serious mental health condition because of that fear of getting homophobia from the kind of health situations, and some of the and some of the research I looked at as well started to show as well that um, even in financial institutions, people fear that homophobia, so don't ask for help because they they fear the kind of home institutionalized homophobia, I guess, that they think exists or does exist in some of those institutions. Um, and I and I and I wonder how many employers and how many HR teams really think about actually are we creating the environment where people are actually okay to ask us for help because we're using inclusive language and because we are linking well-being to our diversity and inclusion as well i think i think that's a really big one so i have to say in so like on on my records on the on the nhs i i'm probably um i'm probably cisgender straight just because I'm, I'm not sure that ever kind of came up when we did the intake thing and I didn't really feel comfortable to, to just kind of randomly plop that on the table. So, you know, so they probably wouldn't if I came in with something, that's not a context they would have automatically kind of. Um, in terms of bullying, I think I think that's that's a really big deal. So I have definitely experienced bullying myself a few times. Um one was it was a really weird situation where basically i was i was kind of asking for help not from hr but from kind of someone senior that i felt like i had a good connection with and for some reason because i was asking for help i kind of probably was like in in his eyes wearing like you know the the victim stamp on my forehead and then things kind of started getting really weird in terms of like he, he just kept making really weird completely inappropriate remarks 
and and that got really really uncomfortable because he kind of I think sensed that I was vulnerable because other thing that was going on but then also that made it really difficult to to bring that harassment issue up again because because there was kind of just too much going on and it didn't really have anywhere to go so that was really uncomfortable the second time was um i experienced bullying and how that happened was it was basically one uh, a female colleague so one of those non non-enlightened transphobic kind of feminist um people and she essentially saw me like a, a traitor to the feminist cause, basically, and tried to do all sorts of feminist consciousness raising on me, which um, didn't didn't go well. Um, and then I did bring it up first with my line manager, and that organization didn't really have a, an HR department kind of to to speak of. That was more kind of that that sat more in the in the line organization. Um, and I think he was just completely overwhelmed. He didn't really know how to deal with that because I think in his mind, okay, you know, he kind of went, it, it kind of went far enough that he knew, okay, you know, we need to hire women and everybody needs to be treated equally and so on. But it was probably fairly, um, fairly basic. And then the fact that that constellation had come up, I think he just wasn't prepared for that. He didn't really have anything in his sort of arsenal or in his, in his, in his concepts to really deal with that particularly well he was just completely overwhelmed and basically disengaged and it got to the point where essentially i um i ended up not not being able to do to do my work on on that project anymore i also ended up uh, essentially leaving that organization and it was for me it was really really disruptive it was the first time i had really been fully out at work which also made it pretty brutal because I had initially kind of thought the culture was more open than it, it turned out to be. Mm. So I was, you know, fairly kind of nonchalantly kind of open about everything. And that backfired brutally. And it took it took quite a bit to kind of recover the, from that both, you know, personally, financially, career-wise and so on. Um, so that was a fairly disruptive thing. And what made it so difficult was that I had kind of taken taken the openness that they were talking about at face value. Also, I had asked for help. I had tried, you know, to have the conversations and, you know, listen to, because, you know, it's always, you know, the, the, there's always several sides to feedback and so on. You know, some of the, some of the feedback I got you know, is, is definitely valid, but some of it is also, you know, with, with that gender constellation. And there's, you know, there's plenty of research that, for example, if women speak up, they're seen as more aggressive and so on and so on. So I guess in my constellation, a lot of that kind of hits hits extra hard because I'm not, and, and that's also something I'm, I guess, becoming more aware of because that's not how I feel on the inside, but I know that's how I look on the outside. So it's sort of, no, I kind of need to bring those two images together with how people react to me because that's how they think I am. Mm. Um, so there, there, there's definitely, uh, I think there was a, a learning for me in terms of presence and how I handle that. Um, but it was also, I mean, some some of it was just really textbook bullying, and that took that took quite a bit to to overcome. I had to essentially re 
relearn part of my work. So, so um, I, I work in learning and development and I deliver live training courses amongst other things. And I essentially had to learn being in front of a group again, because that, um, that whole incident was so disruptive that um, after after leaving that situation for a couple of months, I essentially wasn't able to be in front of a group of people live because I kept getting panic attacks just because that, that bullying situation was still kind of in my, in my system. And that, uh, yeah, that took, took a bit of work and yeah, I kind of needed to re almost re relearn everything. And yeah, yeah that, was, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry you've gone through that. Obviously, your story is probably pretty familiar to lots of people. I think I've, I've, I've kind of been very lucky that I don't think I've ever really experienced any kind of homophobia. But it, it does really make me think about, you know, it's one thing to change your logo to the pride flag. It's one thing to, you know, encourage members of your staff to get involved in diversity campaigns and, you know, we're recording this at the moment in LGBT plus history month. And, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of pay lip service to this stuff. And it's easy as well, I think with the HR team who can be really progressive and the HR team who believe the you know, rights for, for gay people, and LGBT plus people and all that kind of stuff and be really kind of progressive in their thinking, but that doesn't change people in the organization. You could work for a really progressive business that pushes back against any kind of you know, homophobia but you could have people who are homophobic working in those um working in those companies and i've seen it i've seen people be homophobic and get away with it and nothing being done about it and then be homophobic again and be misogynistic and sexist in companies that are really progressive yet they don't get rid of those people because they're either vital to operational success and and then I read stuff like, you know, one in 10 LGBT plus employees say they've been encouraged to hide their sexuality at work, according to uh, business in the community. And that rises to one in three when in senior roles. So a third of people mm -hmm. in senior roles are being encouraged to hide their sexuality at work. And these are all fairly new stats, you know, the last couple of years. Um, and I just feel like policy is not enough, right? It, it's got to seep through everything you do. And you've really got to take a stand. If you support this stuff, you support it. It's no, there's no ifs or buts. You 100% support being an inclusive employer, um, and I just, I, I'm not sure I entirely see that yet. And I think it it affects, it needs to affect your decisions in good days and in bad days because you know, like on Pride Month is fun and you know you put rainbow flags out and you buy rainbow cupcakes and you know whatever people do and fizzy drinks and whatnot. But it's also, you know, what, what do you do if somebody says something and they're one of your top performers? What do you do if your client says something? What do you do if a supplier says something? You know, do you call it out? Do you maybe walk away from a deal? Do you say, okay, that's not how we do things around here. Are you having the conversation? And are you willing to put consequences in? And yeah, I think, I mean, it's shocking that people get, get told to essentially hide. Um, I got told in one organization, you can be as, as out as you like, as long as it doesn't affect the business. Or I'm like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, yeah, like, well, to, to your point, that. what does that mean? So, so if, if yeah, a yeah, like what does that mean? If a company really? like, you know, I think, um, so uh, sorry, an example is probably like someone like Chick-fil-A in the US, 
they've kind of been brought mm-hmm. up on how they're kind of homophobic and taking a stance and funding anti-homophobic kind of policies and things like that. You know, if, if they're a customer of yours and you are really the inclusive employer, like you say, is it, if you take this seriously, are you taking a stand and saying, actually, if that organisation is against the values that we've got, then we don't want them as a client and we're going to walk away from that contract? Because it's own, that's exactly. the kind of action that makes a difference, right? It's not the waving, you know, waving a flag out of your window one day a year. It's actually real change that people need to be making. Mm-hmm. And I think on on some level, employees know, you know, after a while, after they've been in the culture, they know which one you are. You know, are you the one that hangs the flag out, or are you the one that that's actually serious about it? And I think it makes a massive difference. And, you know, they might still work for you and so on, but the experience and the engagement level and so on, I think is probably quite different. Um, and exactly what you've just said, right? You're the example that you've gone through personally is a really good example of um, it has an effect on your, your well-being and your mental health when this stuff happens. So making sure it doesn't happen, I guess, is part of well-being in some kind of roundabout way but also providing the support when it does happen so that you can better deal with what you've gone through. Um, and, I, and I don't see that being joined up in the same way um, diversity is in perhaps other parts of the business. Yeah, I think that's that's still the sad truth. So I would love to talk to you more about this and maybe we'll kind of continue this conversation because it's interesting you know part of this podcast is just picking those bits of well-being that i'm you know some of the stuff is really obvious but some of it is less obvious so talking about you know homophobia and racism and disability and the effect that has on well-being but also do you design well-being to accommodate the slightly differing needs um and you know as you kind of mentioned at the start you know you being able to choose your own name really is about personalizing that experience so choosing how you identify yourself is a, a personalization thing which is obviously i'm all about personalizing the employee experience and personalizing the well-being experience and i think if you do that really well it doesn't matter how you identify it doesn't matter what disability you've got whether you're a man or woman what color you are because you've already accounted for the fact that we are all different um and you know my, my dad has always said that he believes sexuality is kind of on a you know he doesn't believe sexuality is black and white he's believed you know almost entire life that it's kind of shades of grey. And so we are probably still quite far from a um, Captain Jack Doctor Who future where you go up to any human or alien and, and kind of don't make any assumption about what their sexual preference is or what, what gender they identify as. You know, you actually go up to somebody and just ask them um, without making any assumptions. And until that happens, I guess we're trying to make the best we can uh, of what we've got. Mm. Um I, I think that's really true. Also, I think, and obviously, you know, the the, the topic of of the uh, of our conversation is that. But I think it's also when when inclusion works really well, it's actually not a big deal at all. You know, like if I'm if I'm running a global project, I'm not running a non-binary project. I'm running a global project. You know, <laughs> it's really not like on a on a day to day basis. Or you know, if I buy a train ticket, if I book a flight, if I facilitate a session, you know, it's really not actually that big of a deal. But I need kind of the the frame. You know, I kind of need the holding structure to be like that, and then it almost like it, it disappears. Mm. And I think that's that's actually a, a really nice thing when that's possible 
because you know then everybody is just who they are and and what they're bringing and and then you know it's it's the person who's really good at figuring out that thing or it's the person who's a really good negotiator or you know any any of the other wonderful things people people do in in mixed and in diverse teams and i think that would be really really awesome i think it's probably still a way to go but i think that would be really wonderful excellent well i really appreciate you taking the time out to join me on this podcast anyone listening who would like to hear more about you and what you've got to say about the world can find you on twitter at christine locher that's l-o-c-h-e-r we'll put the links in the show notes they can also find out more about you at christinelocher.me and you are the uh, director and owner of Christine Locher Limited, decision coaching driven for professionals. You are a learning consultant for NIIT Limited and a director of the e-learning network. And you also have a book out called The Def- Decisive Edge. So just before we finish, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So... The book started, it's essentially, I'm looking at the non-metrical side of decision-making. The book is not quite out yet. Uh, There is a book out about values and change. And The Decisive Edge is the book that I'm currently finishing. And that looks essentially at how how to make decisions by using those deeper elements like values, like your gut feeling, like integrity, essentially anything that's non-metrical that people often overlook to their own detriment. Excellent. We'll put the links um, in the show notes and we'll make sure that when that book is out, we let all of our listeners know. Um, Christine, really appreciate you joining us. Thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Join the workplace wellbeing discussion online by tweeting your thoughts and questions to at World of Good Book. Thank you to my guest today, and thank you for listening.